this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. I think it's about time I change these tracks around, these backing tracks. You must be getting a bit bored of them. I am. Today, we're going to reflect on my conversation with the one, the only, Matt Hodges Long. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I did. Matt was one of our earliest, earliest, earliest guests. So let's jump into the intro and uh, we'll talk some more about it. Safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risplit. Oh, I changed the backing track. I'm just going to commit to that one now. That's what we're going with. Sorry about that. Right. Let's get into my notes on the chat with Matt Hodges Long. Firstly, apologies for the audio. It wasn't great. Um, I didn't really know what happened there. It was We recorded it a long time ago, so I think a good part of it is... Uh, due to just the fact we were having some real problems with our audio when um, just before we moved over to the new Rodecaster Pro, which is epic, by the way, if anyone's uh, thinking about doing a podcast or anything like that. Let me just turn that down a little bit. There we go. It is unbelievable. So before we get into my notes, so just a quick message from our sponsors. Um, Rebound and Safety, official sponsor of YouTube and the podcast is Paradigm Human Performance HSC subscription service. This is the perfect package for the managers, owners, small and medium-sized enterprises. You know, those people that are constantly just spinning loads and loads of plates, being pulled from left, right, and center. And unfortunately, sometimes health and safety falls by the wayside of that, which is life, really, um, which we don't really want because when shit hits a fan, doesn't help. The cost of establishing a solid foundation of legal, regulatory and industry compliance and embedding that in everything you do should never be beyond the reach of the employer. And Paradigm Human Performance's global mission is to make the workplaces safer, healthier and more respectful places where all workers are recognised for their contribution and respected for the subject matter expertise. So you want to make worker safety a part of the DNA of your organisation. If you want to thrive, then check out Paradigm Human Performance. Their HSE subscription service is going to make that a reality for you. Starting from just £99 a month, go and check them out in the description below. I'll put the website link. So if you're not sure, you can go check out their weekly webinar as well. And you can check them out before you move on. So kind of like a mini version of a try before you buy. I'll also put their email address and their phone number below. So if you want to get yourself some peace of mind, then that's the place to go, people. And one message from Project Miletium, which is mine and Colin Nottage's business. So if you are looking for just some extra support on professional development, being a better safety professional, then we have filled the void there with Project Miletium. It is a professional development community uh, facilitated by myself and Colin Nottage. So we are really focusing on providing members just value, value, 
value. We're really trying. Oh, that sounded so cringe, didn't it? We're really trying to just connect safety professionals with each other and with the rest of the world um, that are doing some amazing stuff. We're, we're just trying to facilitate connection. We're trying to facilitate cognitive diversity. And we do that with weekly community calls um, where we talk about goals and wins and we, we talk about our challenges that we've had this week and we, we try and help each other out and support each other. And and those have just been so powerful. We've just surveyed our members uh for the first three months and uh, they've all rated those community calls as the most valuable thing they've got and the feedback we're getting is unbelievable members are telling us that they couldn't do what they what they have done without project millennium and that's just within three months it's been unbelievable we've got members telling us that they lost their inspiration they lost their passion for health safety and um millennium has found it again the community has found it for them again so Unbelievable. So if you're looking for just if you're at a plateau in your career, you're maybe new to safety or you're looking to give back, but maybe mentoring's not doing it for you. Maybe you want to give back to a bigger community um, and, and you want to learn from from young people, from new people, from fresh eyes as well. This community is for you 100 percent. And just don't miss out, people, because it's going to be big. I can feel it. The feedback we're getting is phenomenal. I can just tell this is going to explode. So get in early. That's all I'm going to say. If you want to get in early, or maybe you're not sure yet, maybe you want to try out a call for first, I'll get you on one of our weekly calls free of charge. Just DM me on LinkedIn or email me at james at rebrandingsafety.com and I'll get you on one of our calls for free. Or likewise, if you know Colin, just drop Colin a message. He'll do the same for you as well otherwise if you're convinced already and you want to join straight away just go to www.projectmillennium.com and join us on there on the join us page very simple click on join us and click on the button that says join us just click join us just join us right let's get into my notes my notes my notes about matt hodges long well not about matt hodges long this is not like his autobiography this is just Notes from the conversation. Well, I had a bit of a cool insight in what it is to what it's like to be interviewed on LBC, right? I thought that was cool. Um, you don't really get to see how that works, uh, especially for me or if any of you listen out there are podcasters or interested in starting a podcast. A little bit interesting to see how the other side do it, how the professionals do it. Not people like me that just wing it week in, week out. Uh, people that know what they're doing, that have the resources and the money to just plow this stuff with people and experts and so on. Nice to see. Nice to see an insight there. I thought that was pretty cool. Also, a good insight on how you, as a listener, as a safety professional, might get yourself on 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 the LBC or anything like that. And I believe... Simon Walters, who we interviewed a while ago, I think he did a YouTube video on how to get yourself on BBC because his wife got on BBC during the early pandemic, I believe, if I remember rightly. So just check that out as well. But I thought that was a cool insight. I left that in for y'all. Um, oh, drop me a pen. So hopefully you found that interesting. I've got here in my notes, social media is an interesting case because it created essentially a new court to be judged by mm, yes yes this is an interesting point the interesting point around social media not many interesting points around social media but just this one in particular it's kind of like a new court isn't it it's a new 
judge and jury and sometimes executioner. Kind of scary, really. I think we've seen this in many public cases. I don't want to get into the real controversial kind of cases, but there is a certain sense of that things, things that are really big and topical obviously go viral. But then we seem to like judge. So a company can be punished before they're punished. So say, for example, if you as a company got accused of doing something heinous, something really bad, I don't know, let's say that you were killing polar bears to make your product, right? I'm telling you now, people would have boycotted your brand before you were even found guilty. Before anyone had even tested the reliability of the source of that information, you're found guilty by social media. So this is a really interesting topic because that's probably maybe the negative side of it. However, social media, in the case of Grenfell, has done that, 100%, definitely done that, and probably put a lot of pressure on governments to rush this and, and and they're not really rushing it. It's quite slow, but we'll get onto that later. But what it has enabled people to do, the people that were really damaged and harmed by or affected by Grenfell, it's enabled them to keep the message alive, which is something they probably wouldn't have been able to do as effectively without social media. You know, they've only had like faxes or letters or emails, you know, or trying to lobby Watchdog or BBC to talk about it. You know, they would have talked about it whilst it was all popular. And then after that, it would have just died a death. And I think social media has really given some power to the people, which is good and bad, has pros and cons, as does everything in life. Um but it's nice to be able to see that they can really keep that message alive. You know, I also feel that because of this, it kind of reduces the dodgy shit that goes on behind the scenes. I think that it's real, it's, 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 it's much harder now, I think, to do dodgy stuff because there's people have got power now. Like your employee who you're asking to do dodgy stuff could quite easily out you on social media tomorrow and it go viral. So it's kind of like, whereas previously before, everything that went out in the market was was filtered by your marketing team, it's kind of not anymore. How interesting is that? So there's there's this real power to, to the people. Now, like I, like I said to or alluded to a minute ago, that, that brings negatives in that... There is a there is a lack of education around some some conversations, um, and and that's inherent because we, we can't know it all, can we? We can all have an opinion on everything, but we can't know it all. It's it's how far do we take that? Like, there's a lot of people that have an opinion, a very strong opinion about Grenfell that that have never worked in fire safety or never worked in um, housing or never worked in I don't know architecture. And they don't really know how complex this is, which we can see from this conversation with Matt how complex this this whole thing is. Um, I think it also, it it fuels a bit of that fake news stuff. I don't want to sound like uh, Donald Trump, like fake news. No, that's not it, is it? Fake news? Fake news? No. 
I'm just doing an Irish act. Is that Irish? I don't know. Hmm, yeah, it's fake news. No, it just sounds like Sean Connery. Really bad Sean Connery. I don't know. I can't do accents. But anyway. So, and, and then that fake news ends up going viral and then it becomes, and, 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 and it can actually have a real impact on on businesses, on lives, and people live their lives by some of this stuff that just turns out just not to be true. Um, like there's a really interesting case around the vaccines conversation. Like everyone's a bit nervous because, uh, and, and, and I don't want to get into the vaccine conversation if I'm honest, but so I'm just using this as, as an example and I'm not judging either way, you know, whether you're for or against, I'm, I'm really don't give a shit. It's up to you. Um, but, when when people say you know well, I'm not sure about the vaccine because it hasn't gone through all the through all the normal routes like there was a doctor of science at Cambridge or whatever something like that uh, on BBC Radio Four and she gave a really interesting uh, interview and and a really valid point that really stuck into my brain was it has gone through the normal routes but we've never had this amount of resource and money and pressure to do something before. Normally, we, we come up with a vaccine or we come up with a new approach and we have to pitch it, we have to get funding, we have to find people to do it and we have to do it and it's slow and it's arduous. Whereas this time, the entire world wanted this and the entire world was throwing money at it. So she was like, we just had a shitload of money and, and we had time to do it because everything else just stopped. So it's gone through the same route, but it's gone a lot faster because we were enabled to. Um, now, and uh, there was a, it was a massive interview, and it was probably wasn't as simple as that. Um, there, there was some other bits, I think, that they said that, that some things had flexed uh, and moved, but, you know, she, she was ultimate, her ultimate point was really the main contributor to the speed of those stuff was just time and money, which is interesting because the conversation around it on social media is not like that. Or, or maybe the conversations that I hear that are maybe fueled by social media and not, and not like that whatsoever. And I think we've seen the same with, with Grenfell, um, and we see the same with a lot of stuff. So it's like every tool that's made for good can be used for bad, do you know what I mean? But it's really fascinating to see how powerful the people have become with social media, which I think ultimately is a good thing because ultimately most of us care. Um, and it's just the odd time that it's used incorrectly. But I think... If we all just said to ourselves, we all got in the habit of asking ourselves, where's that post come from? And what's the validity of that post? Then I think we would all probably be in a better place. And maybe just holding judgment without context. Um, that would be my 10 pence worth on that. Um, we all do it. We're not perfect. Humans are fallible. Um, so let's move on. Housing fire safety is just so complex. Yeah, I... So I've worked in housing, and I'm telling you now, to say it's complex would be an understatement. It is unbelievably messy, and messy for the right reasons sometimes. So, like, you've got the regulatory reform order, which is your primary piece of legislation in the UK for fire safety. So that's the thing that tells you you have to do a fire assessment, you have to manage fire safety, look after your equipment, blah, 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 blah. But that stops at the front door, right? So the scope, the front door of the residence property, so the domestic dwelling, the dwelling is what they would call it, um, stops there. 
So if you own a block of flats and you go do a virus assessment in that block of flats, you might pay like six, seven hundred pounds for that. You might even pay way more than that. You might pay like two grand for a virus assessment of this block of flats, right? And that two grand will be a virus assessment of the staircase. That is it. Because the scope does not allow them in the property of the of the, the dwelling. It doesn't allow them in the property of your customers. And that's a challenge for a fire risk assessor because that's where the risk is. You know, the risk is not really in the staircase. The risk is in the flat. But in theory, we designed the flat to have an hour compartmentation. I'm teaching you to suck eggs and so I don't want to do that. But it's designed as an hour box, right? So if we look after the flat, if we look after the communal space, we look after the compartmentation, then really flats should be, excuse my phone, I thought it was on silent, flats should be the safest place in the UK, really, the way we design them. In theory, they really should. So what be the issue there then? Well, the issue is just how damn complex this is. So who owns the front door? We touch on that in our conversation with Matt. Who owns the bloody front door? If I buy a flat... I brought that front door and I might want to change that front door. But that front door needs to be a fire door. So if I want to buy something that's nice and grey, because grey doors are in fashion at the moment, but I want it to be a fire door. Yeah, but I want it to be grey. Well, you need to get a grey fire door. Well, yeah, but they don't sell it in fire door. Well, here, here you go. Here's a link to ones that do it in a fire door. Well, yeah, but that's adding, adding like two grand onto my budget. I'm not paying that for a, for a door. Well, you have to. It's your responsibility. Well, I'm not doing it. And the customer's probably just going to chase their door anyway. And could we tell the difference? You probably have to have a good look at the door to be able to tell the difference or a good keen eye to be able to tell the difference. But that's just one example of how complex this is. You know, when you start getting into supported living, it's even more complex. When you start getting into converted houses, converted blocks of flats, so there used to be factories, now they're flats, or used to be two houses, and now it's a stream of five houses all combined into one, it's messy AF. It is so messy. And that makes me concerned that actually we will never make a difference. I don't think we will ever ever see a significant change that we need to stop that happening i really don't i think we've already lost momentum um and and i just think i think i think dame judith hackett's report was quite good i think she pointed out the complexity of of it all and i think she did the right job of highlighting and actually one of the main causes causes of at least the new buildings it's just how complex and messed up the construction industry is and and our priorities are all over the place but for me, I just think that there's way too many big fish in this game. There's much too much of a demand on, on housing, which means that the pressure's there. You know, we've just got error traps left, right and centre when it comes to building fire safety. Um, so I'm, I'm just concerned that we won't see the outcome we need because I think to see the outcome we need, it needs a drastic, drastic overhaul in how we build, maintain, own and have responsibility for a building. And I just can't see that happening. But I would I would love to eat my words on that. I really would. I really, really would. I put here, well, this kind of continues on to my point, but I put here that, that kind of the complexity of it kind of blinds our morals in part, which I kind, I kind of get that. I, I kind of get what I was trying to say there in that 
because it's so complex, we can just we can really get to a point where we kind of forget that actually, ultimately, somebody lives in this this property because because it's so complex. To then add a moral and ethical bit on top of it, it is just even harder. So it's kind of like as a company, you need to really put the the moral and ethical part of this at the center of all of your decision making and then live it you know i don't want to see companies writing we care on the wall the wall and the lanyard and then actually not not caring about the customer or their employees actually just caring about compliance and so on and so forth which is a part of what you do i get that i get that is a part of what you do but ultimately when it comes down to housing my experience the first question everyone asks is are we liable? Where's our responsibility? Well, it's not there, but you know, we, we could have we could have done something to help this person. Well, we're not we're not liable, so move on. And it, it's just I've I've never worked in a more immoral industry, if I'm honest. And and I think that that's where you're you're gonna you're gonna fall down. It's a messy industry. I think it's it's a highly complex industry, and I think it's an industry that lacks competence. I think it drastically lacks competence. And that's before I even start talking about um fire risk assessments it's messy af people seriously i thought that rob um, rob i thought that matt's point on the ro being born out of work was unbelievable i've never thought of it like that i've never ever realized that what a great point it is not fit for purpose it is not fit for purpose and how much does that remind you of that conversation that we had with um, Dominique from the Royal Opera House, the noise at work reds were written for the industry. They weren't written for theatre where they're, 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 their job is to create loud noise. Literally their job, or as they would call it, sound. Um, but how interesting is that? So what do we have? Do we have an RRO for industry? Do we have an RRO for housing? You know, we, we talk about blanket approaches not working in safety, but yet our legislation is a blanket, blanket approach. And don't get me wrong, I, I actually think the RRO is a really good piece of legislation. I actually think the uh, um, Health and Safety at Work Act is a really good piece of legislation. But that is a, such a good point. It is not fit for purpose for the housing sector because it's written for industry. It's not written for domestic dwellings. So what happens there? And you've got like a... a, a a patchwork quilt of legislation when it comes to housing, or this bit's the housing act, this bit's that, this bit's that, and it's just an absolute nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. So I thought that was just a, a oh, just a, just thinking back on it now, I'm just like, what a great point. What a great point. And, you know, like I said about the Housing Act, the Housing Act protects the person's right to their home. It does loads of other stuff, but it protects that person. And that's a good thing. I I brought a flat or I rent a flat. I deserve my rights. And bear in mind, some of the people that live in, you know, I worked in social housing. Some of the people that, that live in some of these, these rented accommodation are living some of the hardest lives that we'll ever see in England. And some of them have shocking lives. You know, we're not talking about people that just choose to rent a nice house as opposed to buy a nice house. So we're not talking about, oh, you chose to rent and you should know better and you've got the money. So you should um, you should suffer, you know, for less rights. And the, the landlord must be able to just waltz into your property whenever you want. Versus like someone who's got real social housing issues, you know, real social issues with their with their lives, their personal lives, whatever, their money, you know. And 
they should be protected and we all should be protected. If we all have a property, our home should be our home and somebody shouldn't be able to just walk in. We shouldn't be able to have a fire risk assessor walk in and tell me how to run my house. Or should we? I mean, I don't think we do, but I'm happy to be, I'm happy to someone to come on and discuss otherwise because this is messy. This is messy. And I'm not saying I have the answer. All I'm saying is, this is messy. And I think fair play to the people doing the inquiry um, because you're trying to fix a very, very big issue here. And um, it's not something to be done overnight. What else have we got here? Yeah, I mentioned that. I I think when we talked, so we talked briefly in there around risk-based uh, in theory is, is correct. But I think risk-based hasn't hasn't really solved our issues so far, has it? Uh, I think we see that in the Health and Safety at Work Act and how we've operated in the UK. I think uh, the Safety at Work podcast do this really well, um, where they talk about like goal-based legislation and so on. Um, what what we see and what we excuse me, what we've seen and what we tend to see is that where we don't have specific uh, prescriptive approaches within our legislation, our insurers and our safety professionals just jump in. And, and create bureaucracy and prescriptive approaches because that creates a sense of safety, a sense of psychological safety and security for the board and for the stakeholders and for the shareholders, meaning that they can sleep at night because they feel like they're doing something right. It gives them a false sense of safety, so to speak, um, especially when we're talking about the big stuff. And fire safety is no different. So in a way, it's like... I agree that we shouldn't prescribe everything. You, if you know me, you know I'm the biggest advocate for descriptive over prescriptive. But on the flip side, if you leave a void, we seem to fill it with bureaucracy. So what's the answer? Really, what's the answer? I don't have it. I really don't. So interesting to see there. Just a couple of things I wanted to touch on uh, before we kind of move on from this point and uh, my reflection. We're about 26 minutes in, I believe, so I won't go on too much longer. But fire risk assessments, people. Fire risk assessments. I will be talking from the most honest point within my own being when I tell you this. I am yet to see beyond two people, beyond two people that I've worked with and had fire risk assessments from. I'm yet to see one that's any good. Three, three people. Three people. Yeah, I'll correct that to three. Yeah, yeah. Three people in my entire career and I lived fire and safety for the last few years prior to my current role. I lived fire safety. They're the only three people that I would employ to do a fire assessment so far. Now, there's more than three out there. I get that. But think about it. Think of the exposure I've had to people doing fire risk assessments. The quality of fire risk assessors out there is horrendous. It is horrendous. The quality of risk assessments out there is horrendous. If you are asked to do a fire risk assessment, do some bloody homework. Please put some effort into this. 
And if you're not comfortable doing it, then don't bloody do it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not expecting people to be bloody fire engineers if you're fire risk assessing a pretty simple warehouse. Yeah, that's where I started. Pretty simple, nice and easy. But if you're moving up into doing fire risk assessments in housing, basically wherever people go to sleep, you know, that's some serious shit. That is your high reliability organization level when it comes to fire safety. Yeah, people going to sleep with regard to fire safety is your oil and gas, is your offshore, is your, you know, your high heavy manufacturing, whatever high risk industry there is in, in normal safety. When it comes to fire safety, sleeping risk is the pinnacle. And the standard of fire risk assessments in that is abysmal. It is shocking. Now, you can you can go back into the, the dark, deep, dank roots of rebranding safety when I was deep into fire safety and I was so frustrated because we've worked so hard all the time to do a good job and we got nowhere. We got nowhere and the dross we got off people that were ex-fire service, people that were fire specialist consultants, the dross we got off them was shocking. But industry just laps it up. They lap it up. They're like, oh, look at this guy. Look at all these letters after his name. Oh, he's ex-fire service. You know, and the, and does the skeezer will do a fire assessment? I'm just like, what the fuck is that? It is shocking. I've never seen a more fucked up industry. Honestly, it is a royal mess. It truly is shocking. And I, I just can't, you know, how, how did, who, who am I to say? Who am I to say? Somebody might, somebody might read my fire risk assessments one day and go, what a load of shit. And if they do, I hope they ring me up and let me know because I'd learn, I'd love to learn. But I have been coached in fire safety by two people that were just phenomenal, that were just phenomenal, that were practically fire engineers. The guys just knew fire safety inside and out. And now, I don't know what one of them's doing, but one of them I know is doing, you know, fire safety at some of the highest levels. And if, I just have every bit of faith in them and what they do. And and I look at what they do and then I look at what other people are doing that are being paid a shed load of money. And I'm just like, what the fuck is that fucking thing you've just handed me? Like, seriously? seriously how much you impact yeah but i'm a grad ife i'm a charter i don't give a shit that is horrendous and that's literally the conversation i have every day for years and years and years but housing associations landlords you know fm companies they will just lap it up they do the the half-assed attempt of going and looking at the badges and looking at the names and not really getting into it the lack of understanding within people that run the buildings and own the buildings around what a fire risk assessment actually is and does is also shocking. Just the, I cannot really put into words how screwed up this entire industry is. Anyway, now I've really bummed you all out and uh, told you basically that you're all going to die in a fire one day. Let's move on. I, maybe not. Maybe not. Let's move on. Let me close out my points. In majority, in in, in 
holistically across the UK, we manage fire pretty well, but we manage it pretty well by design. We don't manage it pretty well over time. So the fire industry dramatically suffering right now from organizational drift or profession drift, I suppose. We as a profession and as an industry has drifted very far away from what we should be doing. And we've tried to fix it with a series of plasters different guides here, left, right and centre, different priorities and so on and so forth. And it's just got messy. So if you're in the space where you're working in fire a lot, I just please urge you to just just engage with people that, that hopefully are doing good jobs, but, you know, really look at the guidance, really understand it and try to throw yourself into the complexity of this so you can really understand it. But more importantly, never, ever forget, never forget, ultimately somebody is in the building that you are risk assessing there is a moral and ethical part to this and that should be the center of what you are doing it is the center of what you are doing ultimately somebody is asleep in that building or somebody is working in that building whether it's housing whether it's care whether it's hospitals whether it's warehouse whether it's factories somebody is in that building and there is enough fire tragedies in the uk alone to tell you to take this stuff seriously if there's any part of safety that just cannot be treated like a tick box it is fire safety because when this shit goes wrong people die Anyway, I've just, I have just—I said I was going to stop bumming you out, and I haven't. I've just carried on bumming you out. But I, I, I kind of moved away from fire safety, you know, not wholly, but but mostly um, for, for a reason, because it's just messy. And, and it took me to a point where I was really low, really low, uh, probably the lowest I've ever been. Um, should have gone to the doctors, really, if I'm honest, um, looking back on it now, but I didn't. And it wasn't just fire safety, it was the, the place I worked and so on and so forth and horrendous leadership. And yeah, Maybe one day I'll tell you all about it for a laugh. And um, But yeah, anyway, that'll do, peeps. Uh, don't forget to check out www.projectmiletium.com uh, for your professional development community to get yourself up the wazoo of professional development. It is unbelievably surprisingly good like i knew it'd be good but i didn't think it'd be that good and honestly i know i'm just saying that i haven't really said much in this podcast i've just ranted i get that and i'm doing that now when i'm trying to promote my own company like i haven't really given you anything tangible to take away from today and i apologize for that but like i don't have the answer to this stuff and i realize i'm kind of saying the same thing with project Meletium here like i'm just sitting here going it's good why is it good well, it's just good. Like, why is it good? Well, it's good because of the people that are in it. Like, really, if I'm honest, the community make it what it is. Um, so I could probably answer why Project Meletium is good better than I could answer what the hell is wrong with fire safety other than the fact that it's a mess. Um, but go check out Project Meletium. If you want to try it out first, let me know and I'll get you on one of the calls. Don't forget to check out Paradigm Human Performance HC subscription service. I put all their links, uh, the website, email address, phone number all in the show notes below so go check them out as well don't forget to sign up to their weekly webinar as well because it is epic loads of free amazing information and once you sign in you can get access to the backlog as well which is unbelievable unbelievable 
If you're looking to do some more work around promoting your brand, your service, then come and check us out, rebrandingsafety.com. We're looking for other sponsors for the podcast. We're looking for brand deals, people that want to make maybe a bespoke video, unique video, a bit of influencer marketing essentially for your brand, service, product, whatever, then give me a shout and uh, we'll see what we can do, whether it's vlogging an event or reviewing a product or whatever. Let me know. We will happily, happily do it. So come and drop me an email, james at reboundingsafety.com. All right, peeps, I shall leave you to it. I shall see you next week in the podcast. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. Thank <laughs> you.